Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. On this week's Patriot Nation podcast, we have a Super Bowl preview unlike any other for you. We have three-time Super Bowl champion Matt Light. We have Levin Reed checking in from Atlanta about the team. And we have Joe McAtee from Turf Show Times with SB Nation talking some Rams with us. It's a hell of a show. Buckle up. Cue the music. Stack receivers, two to the right. Russell Wilson extends the hands. He has it. Wilson, quick throw. And it's good. Welcome back, as I said, to the Patriot Nation podcast presented by SB Nation. We are the voice of Patriot Nation. As always, I am Pat Lane here with my boy Ryan Spagnoli. Spags, we're here again, man. We're here again. Here we are, man. It's what, four of the last five, five of the last seven, three straight years. I mean, listen, man, every kid looks forward to Christmas morning. But in New England, (laughs) no matter what age you are, our Christmas morning is Super Bowl Sunday. I, lo- I love being from here. I thank God every day for making me a Patriots fan, for making Tom Brady our quarterback. I mean, we got to get another one. Let's go, Pat. That's unreal, right? I mean, six. This is it. Like, And I talked about this last year right after uh, the Super Bowl loss. Like, this is the opportunity. Like, you may not get back there again. And, of course, I said that last year, and here we are again. But, like, it's possible you don't get back there again. You have six. Like, you six is right there. It's right in front of you. You have to take it this year. And, I mean, what an amazing, you know, what an amazing opportunity. And like you said, man, you know, we're here we are with Brady. I think Carabas tweeted something out this week, like, you know, the earth has been around for billions of years. And, you know, you were lucky enough to be here when Tom Brady was playing for the Patriots. And it really is a privilege to watch this guy and obviously Belichick coach. It's, uh, it's amazing. And it does make Super Bowl Sunday Christmas morning. And everyone else is pissed that we're here again. But – there's nothing you could do about it, as Zolak said. And, you know, the national nightmare is back. Here we are. Isn't it just, like, the best, too? You know, you wake up on, like, Super Bowl Sunday. It's just – you just, like, feel great. You throw on the TV. You get food ready, you know, grab some beer. Like, it's just awesome. Like, I, I, it's the best day of the year. And I don't watch if they're not in it. I'm one of those fans. Like, I'm so stubborn because it's usually the team who beats the Patriots that's in it. So, I'm like, screw it. I'm not even watching. But, I mean, I've been so lucky, man. Like I say all the time, born in 97, 21 years old. 
this would be my 12th championship in tw- in, in 21 years and six from New England Patriots. Like it's, Crazy. it's, I mean, there's people that grew up in the city that loved it and got their heart broken from all four sports teams. Like, and I, I'll say it, I, I, I always say it and people who aren't Patriots fans that listen to the show can, can tell me, you know, shut up, but I will never ask for anything else in my entire life from this team. I just want one more. That's, that's all I want. I want one more. I want that sixth ring. I want Brady in the conversation with Jordan. You know, it, it, I just want one more. I'll never ask for anything. Please, I'll never ask for anything ever again. I want this one. Well, I, you could never ask for anything again. I'm going to keep asking, but... but, but. <laughs> I know, but I'm, I'm so desperate, Pat. I, I, I need this one. I'm with you. I mean, you can't lose I can't live with back-to-back. You, you can't. The back-to-back, man, it's like, oh, that'll haunt me forever. Haunt me forever. That would be... That'd be dreadful. But, you know, I mean, here they are again, and it's one of those things, right? It's like, do you, would you rather them lose? Someone asked me that question this week. Would you rather them have lost? To, if they're going to lose, would you rather have, have them lost to Kansas City or have them lose in the Super Bowl? And to me, it's a no-brainer. Like, I'd rather have them lose in the Super Bowl if that's the case. So now, obviously, I, I want them to win the Super oh, definitely. Bowl. Yeah. You know, but but I'd rather have them be in the Super Bowl than lose. Because it's, it's another know, week of watching play regardless. Right. Right. And you know what it is, is it is extends it extends the year. You know what I mean? And, and and you know, part of my take does a lot of that was talking about, you know, you have to watch Super Bowl, even if your team's not in it, because this is it. Football's over until August. So it's like you won't get another game. So you're gonna be like, Oh my god, I have no football. And so for us, it's nice because our team's in it. You know, but for everyone else, it's like it's football going on. So you have to watch football when it's on. But yeah, for us, it's like, man, you know, the the stakes are real as opposed to like, you know, either you're rooting against the Rams because you hate the fact the Saints aren't in there and you're pissed off at it or whatever, or you're rooting against the Patriots because you, you know, can't stand to see the Patriots again in it or whatever. But for us, it's our team is there and our team is there again. And, you know, beat LA is that is that thing. And, you know, the Red Sox beat the Dodgers this year. The Patriots have already beaten the Chargers in the playoffs. Now the Patriots have another chance to knock off another L.A. team. Uh, wouldn't that be so sweet, man, knocking off all those L.A. teams? And, you know, the Lakers aren't going to make the finals, and the Celtics may not either. But um, So we won't get an opportunity for that. But, man, to, to knock off two L.A. teams in one playoff run, that'd be pretty sweet. You know, absolutely. And, and Boston owns L.A. The Dodgers, the Chargers, let's <laughs> go with the Rams. You know, let's let's – and and I like it too. It started with the Rams and, you know, we could sit here all night and argue it's coming close. I mean, we both can sit here as diehard fans who know them in and out. It's coming to a close, you know, we're, we're in that five-year window where these two aren't going to be along for, you know, around for much longer. So, you know, if, if this is it, might as well end it with the Rams and, and I'm okay with that. You know, and they, they yeah. like I said to the chiefs, like we said last week, they got plenty of time. You got Pat Mahomes. It's your, your time is coming. But as long as Tom Brady's around, no one runs this league besides him. Like, it, it, this is still his time. The Rams, you can wait. You got Jared Goff is 24. You know, take your time. Tom Brady's still here. Right. I agree 100%. agree 100%. And, and, uh, and it really is that, that kind of new guard, right? And, uh, you know, like talks, you know, the coaching matchup is interesting because um, McVay has been compared to Belichick in the fact that, He's a young guy, knows a ton about the game, and you know, really is kind of a student in the game and just has a football mind. 
And Belichick kind of has that football mind and thinks outside the box and is just a different cat. And McVeigh is kind of that same way. People have kind of looked at him and said, Belichick brain, right? And so here they are. You know, you get the young Jared Goff and the young Sean McVeigh against the old Bill Belichick and the old time. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, like say, it changes the guard, it changes the goal. Let's put that on hold. I think you're right. Like when Belichick's here, but almost like their initiation into it, right? So maybe the Patriots beat him this time and the Rams, you know, learn from the six games. And then we see what they're really made of because they haven't really been tested yet, these Rams, right? It's not like their back hasn't been against the wall. They haven't gotten, you know, their butts kicked in a big game and, you know, had to fight back from that. So I think that that could be a learning experience from them. And that could be something where, 10 years from now, Sean McVay's in his fourth Super Bowl talking about, you know, man, that first one I went up against Belichick and it was, you know, it was a great matchup. And I learned so much from that game. And that's what allowed me to get to this point. And so that could be an interesting storyline for years to come. Oh, absolutely. You know, and like I said, it's, it's, you know, two heavyweights going at it. <clears throat> and, you know, arguably you can make a sense. These are the two best teams in football that have been all the year. You know, the Chiefs had yeah. holes. The Patriots exposed them. The Patriots coming out of the AFC were the best all-around football team. I'm sorry. And, and you know, the Rams are too. They're complete. They're a complete team. They, they can hurt you in many, many ways, especially defensively. You know, but we'll, we'll get into the to the game breakdown a little bit later in the show with Matt Light and Levin and obviously with the with Turf Show Times. Um, you know, um, I freaking blanked on his name there. <laughs> we'll go on the <laughs> – my bad, but we can just edit That's that right. out if you want to. If you want to yeah. end there, like take it from there into the interview. You... I was like, "What the okay. hell is his name?" Shut. No, no, that's all right. It's uh, it's Joe, but that's all right. We'll right, just say I'll, I'll we'll seg- just end... segue into it. You can segue and off like. We'll, well you know what you're gonna do. Here. I'll just end it at Turf Show Times there, and then I'll, and then I'll, and then I'll go into the Matt Light interview from there. You know what I mean? Okay. All right. Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. All right. Yeah, so speaking of that, Spags, let's let's not waste any more time. Not that we're here to listen to us. I mean, I know we're the hosts, but they're not here to listen to us. So let's get you into the first interview. We got Matt Light coming up again, three-time Super Bowl champion. Heck of a guy. It's a fun interview. Tells some great stories from back in the day. So you don't want to miss it. Stick around. Here's Matt Light. All right, we are welcoming onto the show a very special guest. He protected Drew Brees in college. He predicted Tom Brady and Matt Castle for the Patriots. And now, as the newest member of the Patriots Hall of Fame, he also wears a red jacket probably all the time, I would imagine. Matt Light, Matt Light, welcome to the show, my friend. Well, happy to be a part of it. And I also, I guess I have to throw out there, there was also a guy named Drew Bledsoe that I blocked for who was one heck of a quarterback as well. And, uh, yeah, I guess I'm the luckiest left tackle in the world of football. That's a great point. That's a great point. And it's 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 easy to forget Drew uh for two thousand one, but for sure. Uh definitely bears mentioning. Now listen, before we start the interview, I just just out of curiosity, what do you think the chances are that this interview goes well enough that you say, you know, these two guys are really, really nice. I'm gonna take them with me to the Super Bowl this year. What do you <laughs> what do you think the chances of that are? I mean, listen, fellas, I, I always like to pick up, you know a couple of fellows that are looking for something, you know, to do and take them with me and let you have fun with it. I'm, I'm actually looking at this opportunity for this Super Bowl and saying, man, doesn't my couch look awesome? So if you guys <laughs> want to come to the house, hang out, 
you know, we'll get some wings. We'll watch this sucker together. I'm all for it, man. Sold. All right. Uh, I think that might actually be better than being there, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's going to be a wild one, man. I'll tell you, you know, the, these Super Bowls are always so uniquely different, you know, from, you know, the first one I played into the last one. You go you go from a New Orleans atmosphere to an Indianapolis, and, you know, they're, they're always amazing, and there's so much excitement and everything. And, and to be at them is, I would have to imagine, from the fan experience, just the best of the best. Matt, so you were you were there for the first three Super Bowls. You played in five. You know, how amazing is it that they are still dominating, especially, you know, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick? Because, you know, you work with someone, you see every every person for, you know, 18 years every single day. It, it's hard to get, you know, dominate for that long when, you know, you can butt heads and everything. And these guys are just amazing. They're defying all odds. They're back there again. You know, what can you say about that? Because it's, it's truly amazing. Well, I'd say this much, right? When I look in the mirror, there's times where I'm like, gosh, I don't really feel like I look any different. Or, you know, yeah, I know I got some grays, but I don't feel like I'm 40 years old. And then I put it into football perspective. And it's like, could you go out and heck no. I would be, I would be massacred on the football field in less than one series if I try to go out there again. So, <laughs> you know, everything's relative, right? And and when I think about the job that these guys have done, you know, from the coaching perspective, I, I'm not shocked that Bill's still coaching the way he is and, and using, you know, all the all the knowledge and all the people around him to the the best of their ability and getting the best out of people and, and being the coach that he's been, you know, and, and always been. I mean, that's not shocking. And, you know, Brady, yeah, he's doing it at 41. Um I, I, I have to always rib quarterbacks or, you know, the, the special people on, on, on football teams like kickers and whatnot, where it'd be nice if I had five guys, you know, taking all the hits for me when I was, you know, playing the game of football. <laughs> but the truth is that dude has done it at such a level that it just, it defies logic. And so, yeah, there's part of you that says, how's that possible? But knowing him, knowing, you know, the caliber of people they are and how they approach stuff, it's not surprising. And, and, you know, we've seen a lot of great quarterbacks in this league get to a few Super Bowls, not win one, or, you know, get there a few times, maybe win one. Tom has won five. He's been in nine. You know, most quarterbacks would have mailed it in by now. You know, he's got a beautiful wife, beautiful family, and yet he still keeps going. You know, what is, what is his motivation like? Like, what has motivated him to show up every year and continue working for those Lombardis? Because it's, it's amazing. I think if you asked anyone else in the league at 41 with five Super Bowl titles, they'd be like, hell, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm done. I'm going to go retire now. Well, he, he, he speaks to it quite a bit, you know, and I think that it's um, – I, I think the reason it, it kind of falls on deaf ears over and over again and, and why people keep asking him, when are you going to retire and, you know, how long can you possibly be doing this? I think the reason that it doesn't really sink in is because – you know, we all make it personal, right? We all think about if we were doing that, like, holy smokes, like I would have walked away from that a long time ago, or I couldn't imagine doing this. And, and, you know, you you personalize it, but the truth is, you know, there are outliers in everything and, and the way Tom approaches everything in his life, you know, it's centered around how he can be the best quarterback. So, you know, where I may go out and, overindulge in something or, or maybe not eat properly when I'm, you know, at this setting or with these people, he doesn't do that. He's as disciplined a person as there ever has been. And he, 
he definitely addresses that a lot. You know, like he loves what he's doing, by the way. That's the probably the biggest part of all that, um, that he is so competitive in how he approaches, you know, each and every day and, and, and his mindset that goes into, you know, everything from the preseason to the postseason. Um, so, look, it's who he is. He's dialed in, and, and as long as he's having fun, uh, meaning as long as he's able to go out and get better and, and be a part of, of winning – and, uh, and 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 being the best quarterback he can be, I think he's going to always want to take the field. One thing that's interesting about Brady for me too, I, I feel like, you know, the players love him and respect him and really feel to connect with him. And what's interesting, I think, and look, for, I, I just, I can't wrap my head around it because Tom Brady to me would be like meeting Paul McCartney or like the biggest rock star you can imagine in the world. It's Tom Brady, oh, and me, as a rookie walking list, number in, one. right? I mean, as a rookie walking in, or anybody really walking into the locker room, you see this guy, and he's just larger than life. And yet, you know, everyone talks about him very affectionately. They all seem to have a great relationship with him. How does he do that and connect to his teammates so well that they play hard for him and really genuinely care about him? And he seems to genuinely care about all of them, from the you know seventieth guy in the roster to the number two guy in the roster. Well, listen, I mean, he, first of all, he grew up with, you know, all those sisters and, and, you know, so that, that obviously forced him to do things that, you know, most of us Neanderthals, you know, don't do very well. And that's be caring and actually, you know, have, you know, a little bit of a sensitive side and, you know, all the stuff that I've ribbed him about in the past, you know, is what, you know, obviously goes into, you know, him being a great teammate and a guy that, you know, looks out for those around him and, and uh, he is genuine in his approach, you know, with the relationships on the team. And, and I would also say this, right. That, um, you know, look, these people that come in um, and and they're from the outside of the organization um, or they're, you know, a a rookie coming in uh, drafted or undrafted, they're around a guy who everything that he does sends a very clear message. So, you know, look, there, there's times in a locker room where there can be a rift or there can be uh, what they call like, you know, the cancer in the room or, you know, a guy that, you know, is disruptive because maybe not what he says, but just how he carries himself, right? You know, body right. language goes a long way when you have a whole bunch of guys that are highly competitive and they got big egos. Um, it's easy to tear each other apart. But if all you do all day, every day, is get yourself better and in turn, you know, help the guys around you be better, you have instant respect. And, and let alone the fact that if you're a rookie walking in, in in the last few years, the only thing you've ever known about the greatness of football has the word Brady attached to it. So that doesn't yeah, hurt either. That's true. Matt, Matt, one more thing quickly before I, before I got to step out, unfortunately, but you know, I, I watched uh, opening night last night on NFL Network. You know, it's a great event. You really get to see the personalities of the players. But one thing I was really thinking of is, you know, how how tiring is that, that week? Like, it feels like you're just getting bombarded with questions all week. We're doing what we're doing to you right now, what they do it all week. And, um, you know, leading up to the big game, you're out late. You're, you know, getting bombarded with questions. Just a lot going on. Does that affect the players um, in the game or, or, or not so much? I mean, it, it can affect some guys, you know, throughout the week. I think that, 
you know, the message from Bill and the staff and, and uh, you know, the preparation that they put in this past week before they headed to Atlanta, you know, will negate a lot of, you know, kind of the circus that is the week of the Super Bowl. And, and it's not easy. I mean, you know, you're, you're talking about, you know, just an unbelievable amount of disruptions and, and influences that aren't, you know, typically around the team, you know, during their normal preparation. But, you know, there's um, this week isn't a massive physical, you know, uh, type of week. Um, they, they got a lot of good work in this past week. This week is going to represent, you know, dealing with the circus a little bit here and there, doing the obligations that every team and the coach and staff are required by the NFL to do. And then by the time Thursday, Friday hits, you know, really feeling good about where they're dialed in and then shutting it down with the media and all that by Saturday, gathering up their thoughts and being able to hit the field Sunday at a million mile an hour. That's not, that I'm, I, I laid it out pretty matter of fact. It's a really difficult thing to manage, you yeah. know, from a coaching perspective. But um, they'll they'll do it they'll do it well because they've they've been there and done that a lot. Now, will it translate, you know, completely? I hope so because each one of those guys that are on that team that haven't been there before and don't fully understand the weight of what they're about to do are going to need to buy in. Right. No, it's a great it's a great point. Now. I want to transition kind of into, into some of your uh, past a little bit, I would say maybe even before the Patriots, but uh, what's your most memorable moment from the five Super Bowls you've played in? You you know, it's tough to put them. I I would say, you know, if I had a zero and a one area, it's the first Super Bowl I played in, you know, it was just such a huge, you know, point in my life coming off the Rose Bowl in college and, you know, you know, the whole, you know, breeze and, and, and the success that we had at, at Purdue and then, you know, finding myself in the Super Bowl the following year, 9-11, you know, short work week. You know, I had a high ankle sprain mm-hmm. coming out of, you know, the AFC Championship game. I mean, there was so much. I and mean, it was so much pressure. I mean, being in a Belichick system, the length of the season, um, all of that, you know, it, it culminates in New Orleans for the Super Bowl and we win it against the greatest team on turf. I mean, you just can't write a script like that, you know, let alone yeah. coming back from like 28 down and, you know, beating a really know. good team years and years yeah. later. Right. I mean, it's just the, the storylines are endless. And so for me, you know, to have that moment in my rookie year and have my family there and be able to celebrate with them at the end of that game. I mean, you just don't, you just don't get too many of those opportunities. Oh, that's great. Uh, what a night that was, man. That was, uh, it was great for me. I can't imagine, I can't imagine how great it was for you guys. So, um, so you mentioned yeah, Breeze, obviously. He was, what do you, I know. It's crazy, isn't it? It's, it's unreal. Um, so you mentioned Breeze. He was your QB in college, obviously. Uh, I assume you were pulling for him to win last weekend, which <laughs> we won't even get into that. But uh, do you still talk to him from time to time? And, and do you think he's a top five quarterback all time? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we talk, and he's been, you know, he's just been – you know, the same Drew Brees that I met, you know, in 1997 coming in, you know, as this kid that, you know, everybody passed on. He's not tall enough. He doesn't have the arm strength. He's, you know, really good athlete, but he won't be an elite player, you know, um, kind of guy out of Texas, right? I mean, you know, Drew hasn't changed. I mean, he and Tommy, you know, those two are by far and away the two most competitive people I've ever been around in my life. Um, you know, Drew, his approach, you know, to every aspect of his life is, is, 
in a lot of ways reminiscent of how Tommy approaches things. And it's the reason why both those guys at, at 40 plus are still playing at the highest level. Now I would put him easily in the, in the top five. Um, I would put him up there. Uh, and, and I, and I guess I would say without, you know, having the connection to him in college, if all you did was look at the articles that came out this year, and there were two extremely well-written articles um, by reporters, and I can't remember the, the ones, but if you look up articles on Drew Brees from this year, you'll see the behind-the-scenes side of who he is and how important he is to the city of the New way Orleans, he handled to the fans, to the players. Right. And, and honestly, the way he handled you know the incident from last weekend with just such class – and, you know, he could have blown up and been pissed about it and said, you know what? And instead he's like, let's move on and let's try to get better from it. And I mean, that just shows you the type of guy that, that he is. And never mind what he could do on the football field, which I think has been shown over and over again. Um, you know, but oh, that, you throw that it, on top it, of it. Yeah, look, he, he's, as, he's as good of a quarterback as, as there is, right? I mean, I, I put him up there with Brady, you know. Um, you know, look um, – Tom's benefited from Bill. Bill's benefited from Tom. Um, I don't think you can look at anything, you know, just from a team perspective. I think you look at, you know, what other players say about him and this, that, and the other to, to really build the, the, the best picture of what they mean. Um, but, you know, look, Breeze and, and how he approaches the game and the plays he makes, if you took what Bill says about him, anytime we'd play them, he would say, it doesn't matter how well you defend he will find a way to get the ball to his receiver, meaning you could have the best coverage on earth and it won't affect his ability to connect with his receivers. That's a hell of a statement for yeah. the best coach in football to say about any player. Yeah. Well, that's, that's pretty damn good. So, all right. So uh, after you leave Purdue, you obviously get drafted by the Patriots in the second round, but now I've heard it, and I don't know for sure if it if it's a hundred percent true. Were you on the phone with the Jets when the Patriots drafted you, or when the Patriots traded ahead of the Jets to draft you? Yeah, yeah, I was. They had, uh, I want to say, the fiftieth pick, and we were on like pick forty six. Okay, and so they were on the phone saying they were going to take you, and then the Patriots call and say, you know, we've traded ahead of New York, and. Uh, and we're gonna and we're gonna take you instead. What a what a move by by Belichick there. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, again, uh, I've said this, and people think I'm crazier that I've, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's not necessarily the case, but it's definitely the truth. And that is, you know, when I played um, all through college, I, I had never paid attention to an NFL game. I'd never seen one. Um, I had no idea that there was a rivalry between the Jets and the. Patriots I had no idea that they were in the same division and it, it doesn't make me sound really intelligent but you know I didn't grow up watching football so um right you know when I when I was on the phone with New England and then took a call from the Jets and then 10 minutes later the Pats call back and say hang up with the Jets you know we just traded up to get you I'm just thinking that's business <laughs> as usual you know I didn't know that there was a history so uh to, wow. to come here and and be a part of this organization and, and, and see the, the rivalry, you know, firsthand and the no love lost between Bill and, and the Patriots oh, yeah. and the Jets and the whole nine. I mean, it's, it was a heck of an education. 
Yeah. I mean, that's got to be some salt in the wound there for, you know, for Jets fans. And you look at some of the stuff, you know, where Parcells leaves the Patriots and goes to the Jets and Curtis Martin, obviously a Hall of Fame running back leaves. And, you know, Belichick obviously leaves the Jets and comes here. And then for, you know, for both teams, they can be kind of jockeying, you know, for a position to, to draft you and the Patriots end up, uh, end up there. Must have, I'm sure Bill felt pretty good about that one. Well, I, I don't I don't know how well he felt about it because he and I love to to mess with each other and and uh, you know we we definitely had a lot of fun but uh, I know I sure as heck benefited from it and yeah. uh, continue to do so today so yeah it was a uh, it was a heck of a day for for everyone I guess that's great so you mentioned how you guys go back and forth and you're kind of a a, a legendary prankster um, and obviously it seems like back in the day and I don't know how much it goes on now still but. Back in the day, there were some, you know, unbelievable pranks with, you know, Brady and Castle where Brady, you know, took three of Castle's four tires. I heard a story um, about a uh, a guy that you may have paid to show up at practice uh, dressed interestingly. And, uh, you know, what what maybe were the were the, the funniest or most memorable pranks that you guys had? Oh man, gosh, we, we, we had a lot. I mean, that was back in the day where, you know, we had a lot of the the old school guys that, you know, predated the, you know, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, you know, just winning Super Bowls left and right. And, you know, there wasn't, you know, kind of like it is now where guys walk in and it's like, Oh man, well, I got, I got to get in line. I got to, you know, stand at attention. I can't let anybody see me slip. You know I mean? We, it's not as easy to have fun today, I don't think. Um, yeah, and it was a different time, right? Um, but we we did, man. We had a we had a blast, and we didn't do it at somebody else's expense. We did it, you know, to truly have fun. What one of my all time favorites was during camp one year. I came in with a stack of scratch off lottery tickets, right? And I had literally bought the entire roll from I don't know some gas station near the stadium and probably day three when we're all dying the third day of training camp's the worst now this is back when real men played football and we hit twice a day and (laughs) full pads and all that stuff and i dropped on one end of the locker room and and i like an accordion and they were all still hooked together by the way and i i I made it clear across the locker room which is huge and then let go and there's like you know 500 lottery tickets strewn across the floor and guys eventually start breaking them off, and they start going at it. And uh, long story short, after shavings that could have filled, like, you know, a swimming pool were scattered around for weeks and weeks, I introduced <laughs> the one scratch-off ticket that obviously wasn't real but had me winning, like, I think it was like $500,000. And the guy that oh scratched it celebrated. I mean, they're, it's like soul train in our locker room. I mean, it was the, the most <laughs> – unbelievably awesome scene you could ever imagine until I told him to turn it over. Cause I didn't know, I, you know, I'd never won that much. How do I, how do I claim my money? I said, there's gotta be directions on the back. And when they flipped it over after like 15 minutes of crazy celebration, they read out loud that to redeem this ticket, please see the tooth fairy. If she's not there, see Santa Claus, the North pole. And it got real in a hurry. And, and I'm, like, I'm going to say right now, they weren't impressed. <laughs> that is that's amazing oh my goodness that's amazing yeah i would imagine laugh, i mean <laughs> that's great that's a good one 
I haven't heard that one before. I like that one a lot. So, well, oh listen, it's, a, it's not a, it's not an easy place to play. I mean, Bill talks about it all the time and, and, and you do have to laugh. You got to take time. I mean, I, I love working hard at, at, at what I'm doing and I love to put the time in. But every now and then you got to step back and got to share a few laughs and keep it light, all pun intended. Well, I, I think that's important, you know, because you're right. Like a, a lot of times you can get bogged down in the details and you're, you know, and you're so focused on what you're doing that you're not having fun. And at the end of the day, you know, as much as of it is a job, you also need to be having fun with it as well. I think that that's important. Uh, do like that in the locker room, you know, can be can be really, really important. And people talk about it all the time. You know, the players talk about it all the time with, with Devin, you know, where Devin McCourty, where he, you know, keeps it light and he's always making jokes and he's always got those stupid T-shirts on. And he just, you know, just little things like that that kind of keep people, you know, uh, focused almost, I think. Well, we, we definitely had those moments over my 11 years. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I played with some of the best of the best. And they may not all, uh, you know, get the recognition or, or be thought of, uh, you know, in, in the light of, you know, some other players and, you know, the guys that got the most attention. But uh, I'll tell you, man, the guys that I spent time with in New England, they were, uh, I wouldn't have had it any other way. And to have wingmen like, Logan Mankins and Joe Andrusi and Mike Compton and you know yeah. all the guys I played with up front the Dan Copens and you know list goes on and on and on I mean th- th- those guys were unbelievable teammates and even better people that's great that's good to hear so yeah I mean that's it's funny because it so I was a senior in high school in 2001 so like that was you know I mean my dad my dad had season tickets in 1967 when the Patriots played at Fenway and has basically had them ever since and so I grew up on it you know and so I you know I like the old lineman stuff so I'm you know I'm paying attention to the to the middle you know middle line guys and you know Mike Compton coming in and guys like that that you just like wow these guys are awesome you know so uh yeah it certainly brings back good memories for me too so um now who is who was the person you would hate to block the most? You know, when you had to face some guy, like, and it could be because he was mean or dirty or he was just so nasty you just couldn't block him. Uh, you know, what's the guy that you hated blocking the most? Well, I'll tell you, man, I, I always liked the guys that played nasty because, <clears throat> um, you know, if if I had one style to play with, that would that would be the one I majored in. I, I enjoy the uh, – <laughs> you know, the, the street fight mentality and, and it always made, made it a lot more fun, you know, not, not, not to be a jerk, but more just oh, because but... I like fighting fire with fire. And I think you can, you can, you, it makes it more interesting, I guess, to a, to a degree, but you know, in terms of guys that I think, look, there was one guy that I, I really truly respected and he didn't talk trash. He didn't, he didn't have to. Um, he, in my opinion, is the greatest, you know, the, true defensive end uh in the game of football period um i think that statistically he's recognized but i think that statistics you know could be thrown out the window for this guy because what teams did to defend against him and what he what he was capable of um you know they put two to three bodies on him or at least one or two people always you know keying in on him and that's dwight freeney you know the guy you know, was somebody that we played every year. I mean, it was almost like they were in our division. Yeah. Um, it's a guy that I had to face, you know, at his place too many times where you couldn't hear anything. And, uh, 
you know, hard getting off the ball. And he had three moves that would kill you. And in the league, you only need to have one move that you can do really well to be a perennial pro bowler. And he had three of them. So, you know, I had a lot of respect for him. Definitely was a, was a big week of preparation when I faced him and, you know, some of my, uh, some of my favorite battles. Okay. That's great. I mean, that spin move, man, is just, just deadly. I mean, I'm sure you can speak to it a heck of a lot more than I can, but my goodness, that was deadly. Oh, I, I can show you how not to defend against it. I mean, I can, I can, <laughs> I can, I can, I can kind of walk you through the whole process. No, look, I mean, he had a different riff. He had a, he had a speed to power, you know, he had, he could skin the edge as good as anybody. His spin move obviously was, was legendary. He spun past me and uh, a millisecond later spun past our, our left guard, Logan Mankins, and then spun past Dan Copen at center and damn near stacked our quarterback. So if you can spin three times and still get to the quarterback, you're a bad dude. Yeah. Man, okay. Tell you what. All right. That's, that's pretty, that's a good answer. That's a really good answer. So, um, so I think that, that kind of does it. But before we leave now, I know you, you got this thing going on with Gronk and the Light Foundation. So I, I want to give you a second, number one, to talk about the Light Foundation. And then number two, kind of talk about another drawing. So this episode is coming out Friday morning. I know the drawing is Friday afternoon. So if someone's listening to it after Friday afternoon, it won't matter. But nevertheless, uh, you know, talk about the Light Foundation just a bit and also, you know, what you have going on with Gronk. Well, look, I, you know, the, the best thing that came out of my football time was the Light Foundation. We, we launched it, you know, my rookie year. We officially uh, had our status in 2002. You know, we're, you know, we're 17 years in um, to what's been just the best journey ever where we work with young kids from across the country. Um, we have a 500-acre facility in Ohio. We bring in kids, you know, from all over the place. A lot come from right here in New England, and we teach them you know, all kind of, you know, leadership-based um, skills. And, you know, we, ha- we also have football camps and we have scholarships and we have a lot of other things that we do. But the primary objective of the Life Foundation is to work with young people and, and put them on a path, you know, that really gives them the opportunities that maybe they wouldn't have had if somebody wouldn't have taken the time to walk with them and listen mm-hmm. to them and hear from them. So we love the work. We love working with, with <clears throat> excuse me, we love working with kids. Um, and, and, and we like to teach, we like to educate and, uh, we've been very blessed to do that. And the foundation has been growing a ton. And because of the success of the foundation, you know, we've got a great base right here in new England. And so when we launch these raffles and we do something like this, it's just an awesome way for fans to a win something really cool, but more importantly, support incredible organizations. And we're going to pull our raffle winner Friday at 2 PM. So if it's not 2 PM and you go to gronkraffle.com sign up get 10 bucks worth and if you win it'll be the best bang for the buck you've ever had in your life because we're sending people to two to uh atlanta two winners and each winner is going to get two tickets to the super bowl airfare and their hotel plus access to the party so it's a great package wow that is a great package and i'll tell you as a as a teacher i i teach uh and my, my my alter the life foundation really speaks to me about because to me you know Obviously, school is important, and I believe that and understand that. But also, you know, these kids also need more than outside the classroom. And there's a lot of kids that don't have that support, you know, at home or from, you know, from a, you know, from an adult anywhere. And so, you know, outside of school. And so, to, for for you guys to be able to do that and provide that to them, uh, I think is is really really important. 
Well, listen, I tell you, it's um, it, it takes it takes an army anymore, you know. Whether you know whether you come from a household where you know both parents are there and you know they have the time, or or you have a single parent, you know, trying to keep up with everything, it's uh, not easy to raise kids today. And there's a lot of distractions, there's a lot of things they can get involved with that you know won't be beneficial for them long term. And and I think the best thing we can all do is just you know take time to really spend with them and hear them and and be a resource and be a sounding board and 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 probably most importantly is to hold them accountable you know it's uh too easy to use the binky of a of an iphone or a or yeah. a tablet or whatever and and not really you know connect and uh, you know that that's what we're here for and we got a great staff and we love doing it that's great that's great all right one more thing cuz I, I do want you to predict the game but uh one more thing is is keel vodka just just spend a minute talking about keel vodka cuz i know it's a light vodka um it sounds Really fascinating, I, and I've looked into it just a, a little bit, but I want you to talk about it just a bit. Well, look, we launched right here in New England. You know, when I retired, you know, I wanted to stay here. My family's been here. My kids have been raised here. But, you know, you, you always think about, you know, how do you balance things, you know. And I was going from, you know, one extreme, you know, the football world to, you know, having all this freedom and, and where do I put my time and, you know, I, I retired with a year on my contract because I wanted to do something in the business realm, and I wanted to, you know, really, really jump in with both feet. And I had two buddies of mine, Bill Dessel and Tom McGowan, who were coming up with this this concept, and and it was something new, and it would be, you know, a, a lot of education, and and we'd have to really, you know, get the word out if if I joined forces with them. And 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 when I started thinking about it, I thought, you know what, this makes a lot of sense. And 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 that product was Keel. And it was this concept of, you know, why do I need to drink beer, which I, I get bloated. I'd have, you, know, you, you know, you do the shy burp, you know, whenever you're, uh, you're around people and you're, you're sitting there drinking beer for an afternoon and you get that heavy feeling. And, I, and you know, I wasn't working out like I was yeah. before. So I, I was looking for a healthy alternative anyway. And, and uh, so we launched Keel with the idea that, you know, you can drink a, a light spirit instead of a, a 40%, you know, kind of rock you in a couple of drinks kind of mentality and 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 so that alternative was appealing to me we launched keel uh, about five years ago and uh we've been telling that story ever since and we're seeing a lot of traction now where people are like yeah you know what that makes sense to me i can stay at the party a little longer i can always have a drink in my hand you know we call it staying balanced you know this idea where you can go out enjoy a few cocktails wake up the next day feel good feel refreshed and uh Man, we're having fun, and and we're homegrown. We we were born in New England. You know, we launched in Rhode Island. Uh, we're in, you know, obviously Massachusetts and New Hampshire and Maine, and we're Connecticut, and uh, and and we're New England through and through. But we're we're branching out now across the country, and the industry's, you know, really going towards that premium light, you know, category, uh, which you know we're we're really excited about. Yeah, no, I I agree hundred percent, and I I think you're right. I mean that. That's kind of how I feel. I'll tell you what. I mean, that's, you know, beer, I just can't. I can't. I mean, I'll have one or two, but I just can't do a night of beer. It's just too much. And so light vodka, like, sounds like a plan to me. And so, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, I've you know, I've seen it advertised around the stadium a little bit, you know, outside the stadium and stuff. But uh, but it's interesting to, to kind of hear, uh, you know, to hear what you guys are trying to do and what you guys are doing definitely definitely appealing to me and then uh, hopefully to, to some listeners as well so it's not surprising that it's doing well um 
So before you go, what do you think is going to happen on Sunday? I mean, obviously, I assume you, you're hoping that the Patriots win. Do you think it's going to be close, which I assume it probably will be since all those flipping games have been close and taking gears off my life. But, you know, uh, do you, what do you, what do you think is going to happen on Sunday? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I mean, I'm as excited for this one as I have been, I think, probably for any of them. I mean, I, I love the, the, the matchup of coaches, right? I, I love the Sean McVay versus the Bill Belichick. I think there's, you know, just yeah. a million storylines and a lot of things that, you know, every fan is going to be sitting there, you know, glued to the sideline shots as much as maybe even some of the stuff happening on the field, right? Um, that That's going to be fun. I, I do believe this is going to be a game that's, you know, going to, you know, uh, be tight. Um, you know, I think both these teams are going to be able to score. Um, I think that if the Pats can utilize this ground game the way they have been, and they can, you know, and they will wear down that defense. I look for them to get those guys run sideline to sideline, you know, early and often, you know, to the degree that they can, mixing in, you know, some misdirection stuff and keeping them on their toes, you know, and keeping them honest in other areas, which are, kind of like the standard things you just have to do offensively um, and then defensively you know being able to come up with a couple key plays you know early in the game to set the tempo and and take maybe a few chances here and there but I, I overall look I think it's going to be a tight game I think they do win and I think that they win by wearing down you know that that defense and and being able to you know hopefully run away with it towards the very end. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that that's what they've been about these last few games, and that's where they've really been successful and, you know, running the ball. And especially, you know, as an offensive lineman, I mean, you love to run the ball because you can actually fire out and hit someone instead of waiting for someone to come hit you. And so, you know, I think that you become a better pass blocker because those guys are expecting the run. And now all of a sudden here comes the pass. And so it makes it maybe a little bit easier to pass um, if, if you're – and I think – I think one thing you pointed out, which I think is is going to be a really, you know, fascinating storyline, is a Belichick matchup. Because when McVay came into the league as a head coach, you know, when he first started there with the Rams, people were comparing him to Belichick, not in the fact that, you know, he's the next Belichick, but like he has a mind like Belichick where he just sees things that other people don't see and has a way to connect with his with his players that other people you know, don't that other coaches don't have. And so um, I think it's kind of interesting to see, you know, the, the art and, you know, these two guys that have been compared now for a few years and, and they're meeting up in the Super Bowl. Well, I'll tell you, it's, um, I think it's getting a lot of hype. I think it's, you know, justifiable hype. And I think that uh, come Sunday, these two teams are going to be as prepared as any two teams have ever been to, you know, face each other. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of in-game adjustments. There's going to be, you know, the halftime adjustments and, uh, you know, may, may the best man win. And, and I hope that is our boys. And I have a good feeling that it will be. That's great. That's should be a lot of fun. Matt, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I really enjoy talking to you and, uh, you know, maybe we can do this. Maybe we can do this another time, but listen, I'll see you on Sunday. I'll bring the wings, you bring the vodka and, uh, you know, we'll have a great night. Well, I, I look forward to that, and uh, and hats off to Pat's Nation, by the way. It's the, the you know represented thirty five thousand strong for a send off rally, and I know they're going to be going crazy come Sunday. So, God love y'all, and uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll talk soon.
So once again, thank you so much to Matt Light, three-time Super Bowl winner, Patriot Hall of Famer, all-pro left tackle. Definitely one of our coolest guests so far, Pat. And uh, Matt was a great guy sure. coming on his uh, you know, busy life coming out of the show. But right after the break, we're going to check in with our pal Levin Reed, who is live in Atlanta. He's been there all week for Super Bowl week. He's going to give us some insight and a little bit of game breakdown. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hidden. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, we're going to welcome onto the show a recurring guest, one of our favorite guests to have on the show, uh, the Patriots reporter for Channel 4, Levin Reed, live in Atlanta. Levin, how's it going? It's been really good, man. It's been... You know, it, if you think about it, we were in uh, Minnesota a year before, and we were, we were all joking that if this was Minnesota right now and they're minus 50, oh we'd probably be like, this oh. would be the worst Super Bowl of all time. Screwed, <laughs> so, 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 Levin. So, this is real good. So, Levin, we had you on last year, this same week, probably the same night, Thursday night, before yeah. the Eagles Super Bowl. So, you need to bring some better luck this time. That's the only rule we got for you. If you're blaming but, me for that instead of, you know, the maybe the positive luck that Nick Foles had during that thing, then obviously we've already started off in a bad foot. Oh, yeah, <laughs> because, yeah. You know, because, but, um, but yeah, I'm hoping, I'm, I, I feel like, I, I will tell you this, when you go from how you felt last year and listening to the players and then you watch them lose, and then how you feel this year and listening to the players, they I feel totally different, and they sound totally different this year than they did I was last ju- year. I was just going to ask you, too, you know, obviously besides the weather, what's the difference you've seen down there as far as the team, as far as the coaching staff, that kind of differentiate, like differs from the past two years, maybe just from last year? I will tell you this. I did an interview with Devin McCourty last year, and we were sitting around talking about – um, the Eagles, and he said that we're going to have a problem because they played their whole game left-handed. And, I, and you know, Bill Belichick always tries to take away your right hand and make you play left-hand. But he, he made it a point to say they don't really have a lot of strength. They they play with their weaknesses a lot stronger than most teams. And then we went to the Super Bowl, and you could see that they were struggling, and then obviously we didn't know about the, the whole Malcolm Butler situation. This is the game where I get the feeling that they're, they feel comfortable, whether or not that you, you feel – the Rams are better or, or, you know, whatever, you know, the, uh, the Rams talent is such and such and here and there. I think the Patriots feel that they can match up against this talent well. I feel that they, you know, the, the, we've always talked about how good Eric Donald is and how Indominus Sue is. And then at the same time, you, you've had to mention with the, 
the Patriots haven't let up a, I think they've let up two sacks this year from an interior rusher. And I know yeah. Aaron Donald is great, but was he as good as J.J. Watt was when J.J. Watt was in his prime? And Brady ran off. He said, we've gone against Richard Seymour. We've gone against Damian Clowney. We've gone against J.J. Watt. We've gone against Jason Taylor. We've gone against Von Miller. We've gone against great pass rushers. And this offensive line has done well, and he expects them to do well again. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense. And, and they have gone against Donald before, obviously, not clearly not this year, but they have gone against him before. But I think that that's an interesting point with them. And I think the number was three sacks from the inside in like two of the okay. first week of the season, I think it was. And so yeah. it was like two of the first week of the season and then one more the rest of the year. But yeah, it's very limited from inside. And the thing about the Rams defense, and I heard Maz talking uh, today, we're recording Thursday night. I heard Maz talking today about it and he was saying, you know, this Rams defense, you know, is going to stuff the run. And, you know, Kansas City was la- was second to last. They averaged, they gave up an average of five yards per carry this year in the regular season. They were only second to last because the Rams allowed 5.1 yards per carry this year. So they don't stop the run very well. And maybe that's because, you know, they attack with their, um, you know, with their, with their, linemen so much that it opens up lanes for the runners but is there something that you see or something that you know that you've heard down there that you think they'll have success running the ball um i i I do think this i I, when i was looking at the 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 practice reports and a lot of the pool reports that came through they said that brady was spending a lot of time under center which means that they're going to use the play action a little bit more because obviously the patriots i mean i don't think the patriots are going to change what they do meaning They've gotten here with Sony Michelle running 53 carries for 252 yards and, and five touchdowns. Why would you mess that up? Why would you stop that? Uh, they've got here by, by deciding that they were going to do ball control, and they've been able to do that. Um, they've been able to, you know, 14 plays drives and 13 plays drives. I don't think that's going to change if they want to win. I think they're going to do their strengths. They're not going to just mix it up because of another team that's out there. They went up against a couple of good defensive linemen in, in San Diego, and they dominated that game. Granted, that game was in New England, but they dominated that game. This will be a ball behind, and you have to worry about Jared Goff um, not looking as if he's in his third year. It, you know, I, I think it's going to be tough for him because the one thing I took away from watching Kansas City, I thought they decided that they were just going to let – Patrick Mahomes be Patrick Mahomes. I think we all have talked before about saying, hey, you know what, Patrick? How, how can you stop him from rolling right the whole time? And when you watch the Patriots, they didn't do that. They let him roll right. They said, go right. right. And then we just, we're just going to cut down the middle of the field because he likes to throw across his body all the time. So they just let him roll right, almost forced him right, and he didn't realize it, and cut down the middle of the field. So all of a sudden, on those comeback routes, whether it be – um, Travis Kelsey or Tyree Kill, they were not there because they had shut down that wall. And it was something brilliant to see. And that's just a young quarterback not noticing it. And now you get another young quarterback in, in uh, J- uh, Jared Goff, and maybe he's not going to see – he's going to see some things that he hasn't seen before. So, Levin, too, um, you know, I, me and Pat talked about it a little bit here and there, but the one part that really concerns me is the status of Todd Gurley. And, the, and the, what I mean by that is, you know, they, they don't necessarily know how much he's going to get the ball. And I think when you're preparing for this team, you know, they're two, type, they're two different types of offenses in a way when C.J. Anderson's mm, running the ball. And when I Todd, wouldn't Todd think Gurley they're not as different as you think they are. They're really not. You they don't run, think so? I mean, I mean, no, 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 no. They're not. I mean, they run power. They just needed another back. 
Um, they still run power and they run. I mean, obviously, uh, Tatro is more dynamic. Um, yeah, I mean, Anderson, that's what I meant. They're not, sense, they're not running two different. They're not running two different sets of offenses um, with that. And and again, but, I don't know. I don't think they're worried about. They're not going to change up how they play, so to speak. Um, and say, okay, we're going to change it because Todd Gurley's in it. We have to change it because C.G. Anderson. In it. The plays that Bill Belichick brought up early in the week, he said the plays are more similar than you think they are, which is uh, which and, goes to what you were thinking. Um, and yeah. they don't throw the ball out of the backfield that much, by the way. I mean, they may run Gurley on like um, like fly routes, and they may run him on curls, and and sometimes just you know the wheel routes, but they don't run him a lot on on you know the little the dump offs around the around the middle of the field, which is a weird thing because you would think they would. It'll be interesting to see, if, though, and I think you're absolutely right, um, how healthy he is because nobody rides the bike for a full game, and he did. Yeah. I know, and, and too, like, he's definitely, I, I mean, at least for me, I think he's their X factor because, you know, obviously when he's on the field, they're a much better team. And I know she he's healthy in this game, I, I'm a little nervous. You know, I I, I am uh, I am a little nervous. I I mean, put it this way: Were you more, would you be more nervous than you were in the Kansas City game? If Kareem Hunt was playing, maybe a toss up. But you know, okay, for, I, if, if if Kansas City forget forget about Kareem Hunt, but I mean, if 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 Damian was the Rams would still lose. Because they they don't have as much talent offensively as as, as Kansas City does, so that's what I'm saying. Like what, yeah. like Damian no, Williams I, put I up a point. lot of numbers, and same thing with Timmy Watkins, and they still lost that game. They're not gonna, yeah. and I don't think the Rams offensively are as talented as Kansas City. So I don't know what this game is gonna look like, but I, yeah, I, just I think say like, bit... yeah. No, no, I was just going to say, I think the big thing is that you look at Kansas City and what the Patriots did well was take away Hill and Kelsey. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, and even though Watkins and Williams had good, very good games, Hill and Kelsey weren't able to get anything going. And and so if you're able to do that, and now who are those guys, you know, in L.A.? Is it Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks? Or is it, you know, I would imagine that those are the two guys that they're going to try to take away the most. And so if you lose... If Josh Reynolds beat you, beat you, and you know Gurley catches some passes out of the backfield, then like, then then you live with it. But I think that those are the two guys that you want to try to take away. And you say, all right, if Josh Reynolds beats us, he beats us. Like, what are we gonna do? You know. And so I think that I, I bet you they try and take away. I would bet if I was doing it, I would bet you they try to take away Robert Woods and Josh Reynolds. And they they would they would bet you to say if you're gonna throw the ball down the field with Brandon Cooks. We have a more of a chance of getting an interception and a That's turnover, um, then because Brandon Cook is not. I mean, if Brandon Cook is going to go across the middle of the field, then he's not going to play too long in this game. Right. <laughs> Let's do that. So That's I would think point. they would say we're going to try and take away Robert Woods and Josh Reynolds, and we're yeah. going to give you Brandon Cooks all day long. And if if he if you're going to go long on him, we have a better chance of getting a turnover than anything else. That's a good point. That's a really good point. So we're talking about the health of Gurley. How about the health of Dante Hightower? He kind of popped up, didn't practice because of an illness. Have you heard anything about that? You know, is he going to be healthy for the game? I mean, I'm sure they're going to hydrate, but a lot of times at this point of the year, there's guys who come up with like the flu or a little bit of a cold or an allergy. Um, It'll be more interesting to see how this goes into the weekend. But he practiced yesterday, a little stuffed up yesterday. He came in with a cold. They only did a walkthrough today. 
So, I mean, and, and, and more of the walkthrough had to do with some of the plays they were running on offense. They didn't even have a padded practice today. Uh, and yesterday they were in shells and sweats, and they were just kind of running through. Um, so I, 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 I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not stressed to think that he's not going to play. I, I t- I'll tell you what, if it happens tomorrow, where he's again with, we're having some bad connections for some reason, but, but keep going. Yeah, we, we've so eleven. Um, obviously, talk of the week and kind of the show of the week so far has been Rob Gronkowski. Looks like he's having a blast. Uh, I honestly haven't seen him have this much fun, you know, on camera during an NFL, you know, sponsored event in a long time. And Tom Brady, I didn't get a chance to read it, but I just got the notification on my phone. Yes, I have notifications when Tom Brady posts on Instagram Um, (laughs) that he posted a very long, detailed message. I didn't get a chance to read it, but it was the two of them with a very long, detailed message uh, caption. Basically, what I'm trying to say is, is this it for Gronk? I don't know. And I think I think we've been we've it's been a lot of questions around that by the way. It's been a lot of whether is this gonna be it for him or or is is and I, I will say this. I was before the, the, the playoffs started I thought yes and then all of a sudden he starts he's he's having fun and they're playing him in a different way and I thought no and then I started to hear from other guys no. Um I I I think as long as Brady's playing and as long as Gronk comes out of this clean um, I think he plays again next year. So I think the issue, though, also was that I don't think he wants to play for another team. Right. So I think, it, like, if if there's an opportunity for him to come back here and play, I think then then he'll play. But if he thinks he's going to get traded or let go or anything like that, then he's not going to do it. He doesn't want to play for another team. So I think you, everything hinders on twelve, on on whether twelve plays, which he's going to, and then whether the team still wants Gronk to play for them at whatever rate that is. Um, and if the, and if he says he takes you know if he takes a little bit less or a lot less and he can still play here then I think that's what the biggest that's where more of it handles. But if they think if he thinks that they don't want him here and they're going to want to trade him then he's not going to play. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I think as a Patriots fan, you obviously hope I think at least that that they're willing to to have him come back. You know, if the issue is that the Patriots don't want him back. Yeah, I'd be pretty upset about that because you're talking about yeah. a guy that, you know, is dominant and especially when Brady's nearing the end, right? It's one of those things where you're like, what the heck is going on, you know? And and so uh, it, it's funny because, you know, McCourty kind of hinted at retirement too. And then, of course, his brother his brother back. comes in and says he's a drama queen. And it was <laughs> great, you know, but it's so we'll so see. Funny. But they're, I, they're, I don't think that that's so going to happen. No. They've been both great. I think the McCourty twins have been fantastic here, uh, mainly because you get a chance to see one guy who's just so jubilant about getting here, and his 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 brother, his twenty seven minute older brother, uh, Devin, is just like, hey, dude, I've been here a couple of times. Why don't you calm down? (laughs) Just take it easy, you know. (laughs) So you get a chance to just take it all in. It's it's pretty great. It really is pretty great to see them out there doing this thing, and uh, I've been able to enjoy uh jason the whole season as he goes through this journey um and as his brother said he didn't want his brother to just make the playoffs he wanted him to go through the process and this is what going yeah. through the process is so, that's great that's really- um before i go so- before i go let me let me you guys give me a score give me a score what are you feeling pat i'll go first here yes i i really i you know i hate to say it and i've been arguing with my buddies about it because they're like i just want one super bowl with a blowout. I want to relax. And I'm like, dude, the, the best ones are when it's tight the whole game and they pull it out at the end. Like, look at the Red Sox. They won 4-1. Uh, 
and it was like, oh, you know, they won. It was great. But I like those, you know, yeah, it takes 10 years off your life, but it's awesome. Like, I'm 21. I'm not going to worry about that yet. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> but I think, I, I really do, I think this will be the one that they they kind of pull away late. I think 30, 31-20 pass. I really do. I, I think they're going to hold okay. them up. I think it's going to be. It's going to be close, maybe the first half, second half pass will pull away. Who's your MVP? You know, as much as I want to say Tom Brady, I don't I, – I think it might be the year of the running back. I'm going to go with Sonny Michelle okay. and be bold here. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I, I'll tell you what I'll say. I'll say I, I agree with the pull away late. I think it's close for the first two quarters, and then the Patriots just kind of grind it out a little bit more. And I'll go 34-20. I like the fact that we're all thinking around 20 points for the Rams, and that's it. Um, you took my guy with Sony Michelle, so I'm not going to say Sony Michelle. I'm going to say Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> I'm going to say Gronk is going to get the MVP. He's going to have a that great. That would be awesome. Uh, and, and then we're going to have even more of a conversation of whether it's you know you're going to have that conversation of whether he should come back or why not go out on top. <laughs> you know, so right. you'll have that conversation going through. No, that's a good point. It's a good point. I like that. Now, you better um, pick against them so they win. You better oh, pick God. against them again so they win. Listen, that was one time thing. Okay, it's not good. Uh, oh, that's hilarious. No, I, I actually, I, I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm going like 34-24. I think uh, you know Patriots are going to get up around 34, and I think, like you said, like you guys both said, it's kind of close. It's a game most of the game, and then they kind of pull away late in the game. Um, you know, 34-24, and Neither you said it, so I'm going Brady as MVP because I mean the quarterback wins the MVP. That's what happens. Like you know, unless if they win, right? So it's like that's what's going to happen. So thank you guys so much. I mean, head back to work, but thank you so much for having me on. And hopefully, if you want to do something, if you want to do something next week after the win, just give me a holler. We'll do. Sounds good. Levin, thanks for taking okay, the cool. time, man. You enjoy your time. Thanks for the laughs. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Anytime, anytime. Thank, Thank you, you. All right. Thanks so much for Levin, uh, to Levin for coming on. Always appreciate him, having him on the show. We had him on a few weeks ago. Love chatting with him. And, uh, you know, he's down there in Atlanta, and he's working, man. He's grinding down there, and he took his time out to be with us. And so uh, we definitely appreciate him. And so we do want to talk a little bit about the Rams as well. So we have Joe McAtee coming on from Turf Show Times to talk a little bit about the Rams and what the matchup might look like. So here's Joe from Turf Show Times. All right, so we're going to welcome onto the show the managing editor for the Turf Show Times. And again, that is the SB Nation site for the LA Rams. Joe McAtee. Joe, welcome to the show. What's happening, guys? This is really happening. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for having me. No problem. It's hey, listen. It's new for you guys. I mean, it's not new for us, but it is new. It's certainly a new experience for you. For you guys, this, this is getting boring at this point. It's like, ah, the Super Bowl. Oh hell no, no, it's not. Come on, this what, is Christmas morning what for us. Uh, we had two weeks off. Uh, nah, this is great. Yeah, you know what it is. Is I when Spags and I were talking about it earlier. Like, it extends the football season. You know, like for so many people, football has been over since like Christmas, you know, and for us, it's like the football season keeps going and it's like you get that lull after football and you're like, now what? You know, and everyone focuses on the draft and stuff, but it's like we get an extra month and a half of football and it's it's great. It's I just I live for it every year. It's, it's awesome. 
Yeah, it's very unusual for us. I mentioned a couple times last year, we were the only SB Nation NFL team site that had never covered a winning season before until last year. Uh, I guess I should mention then that we were created in 2006. So it's not as if we were new. It was just that we weren't any good for a long time. So you say Christmas. Our season usually ended around Halloween, maybe somewhere between (laughs) Halloween Halloween and Thanksgiving, and you turn to – you know, the off-season process and the football was there, but it didn't really matter because you knew a third of the guys weren't going to be there and maybe half of the guys that were going to be there you didn't want to still be there. So it's it's been a different process. And to be honest, the, the difference in the process started probably, I guess you could say in January, but probably in March where we went into the whole off-season process of, you know, getting ready for free agency, draft, and all that stuff. With the playoffs, like you said, with the playoffs as a legitimate starting point for this season, that was the for the first time Rams could have that same Rams fans could have that same uh, perspective, and it's it's certainly been unusual because that has not been uh, you know how we normally operate, but it is something that I think the fan base kind of uh, amended to pretty well this year, and obviously has enjoyed uh, given how well the Rams have performed throughout the season. That's really cool. Now, I was going to save it to the end, but let's talk about the fan base for a second because, you know, obviously they were in L.A. until 94 and they moved to, um, you know, they moved to St. Louis at that point. And then, of course, they moved back to L.A. a few years ago. And so I would imagine in L.A., you know, there's still a decent amount of Rams fans in L.A. And then maybe there's Rams fans scattered around. Did Did the people in St. Louis just give up on the Rams once they left or are they still Rams fans? Like, just kind of curious what you see out there. Yeah, there's a bit of both. I mean, it was the same thing when we left L.A. for St. Louis. There was a, a contingent of Los Angeles fans who continue to root for the Rams even though they're in St. Louis, and there was a certain segment of the population that just stopped and stopped caring and, in, you know, in a lot of ways became, you know, team haters. And then back then it was Georgia Frontieri who owned the team, and people hated her in Los Angeles for taking the team away, and now it's St. Louis fans who hate Stan Kroenke for moving the team back to L.A., um, I think you get a mix of both. I don't have a good sense of what the percentage is, like what percentage of St. Louis fans are still Rams fans. It's certainly well above zero, but yeah. uh, I think I think we could all understand that you know if they took your team from your city, oh, there's yeah. going to be a large population who are like, yeah, I'm wiping my hands with this. I'm done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, and so it's interesting. You get the two teams there with the charges and everything, so it's kind of interesting how it plays out. And for the Patriots. You know, for us from Boston who hate L.A., you know, to have the opportunity to beat two L.A. teams in the same playoff run, that would just be – that'd be amazing. Yeah, and what's interesting about this matchup is, for me being a longtime Rams fan, this is almost, you know, to circle back to Super Bowl Thirty Six, which is where it kind of all began for you guys, right? And, yes, you know, for us as Rams fans, there's obviously – uh, emotional baggage from that game, not yeah. just the way it went down, but also because that was the end of the greatest show on turf. And that game kind of flung us into the dark ages, uh, you know, that got darker and darker and then just kind of ended abruptly last year. And so there is a bit of closure at hand here, but you noted that the team came back to LA. There's a lot of new LA Rams fans who are, who have just become fans in the last, three years, but really in the last two years since we've been good, that don't really remember that game, that don't care about it and don't really acknowledge it as as part of their fandom that they care about. It's been it's been strange, you know, as the, the site editor to be able to 
parse these different groups because there are some people from L.A. who do care, people who are not from L.A. or St. Louis that obviously have followed the team wherever it's moved. And then you've got this new contingent of Los Angeles-only Rams fans that, you know, kind of only count these last three years as part of the franchise history. It's been kind of cute. It's interesting. It's definitely interesting. So, all right, let's get into the game. Now, if you were the Patriots, how would you stop or at least try to slow down the Rams' offense? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. The The thing about the Rams' offense in this era is that they just have so many different weapons, right? It's And we're missing Cooper Cup. I don't know if you guys got a chance to watch any Rams uh, games this year. But oh, yeah. Cup's been – he's an instrumental part of the offense. He was a key third-down target. He's kind of the security blanket for our quarterback, Jared Goff, and he's been hurt for the last month and a half and missing him when we came out of the bye. It was evident that the offense was – uh, just not up to speed without him. And it's taken a couple weeks for Josh Reynolds, who was the fourth wide receiver on the depth chart, and then some increased targets for the tight ends to try to start picking up that slack. I don't know that you could replicate what he does with those guys, but at least they've, right. they've had a plan and they've tried to work through it. But even with Cooper Cup out, you've still got Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods and Todd Gurley and you know the, the tight ends of Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett. You've got a diversity of weapons that now when you add C.J. Anderson as a running back to it, there's no real one person you need to shut down. This isn't a top-heavy offense. It's really balanced. And so I think the, the best thing you could do to try to stop this offense is beat it at the point of attack at the line. The problem for opponents has been that in the last two games in the playoffs, the line's been fantastic, and it was going into the bye. So the first nine, ten weeks of the season, you could probably make the argument that the Rams had the best offensive line in the NFL. After the bye in the regular season, there was a big dip in performance, and it was uh, concerning because we've got some aged veterans there, guys like uh, Andrew Whitworth, who's 37, uh, playing left tackle, uh, John Sullivan at center, Roger Saffold at left guard, all those guys are all over 30. But in the playoffs, they've been fantastic. And so I think that's part of the reason why they've been successful these last two games. But if you're going to slow them down, probably the best way to do it is get through the line and get after Jared Goff. Makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. And, and, and Joe, you know, what, one of the things that, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to is obviously, you know, we touched on it earlier in the episode and, and we're going to get into it right now. But, you know, the, the Rams front seven versus the Patriots offensive line, both have been very good. You know, and I think that's a big X factor in that game. Whoever really can win that battle, I think wins the game. I don't know your your take on that, but I mean that's just me. That that's certainly going to be. I mean, you could make the the case that the line play on both sides is going to define the game because it's so central to both sides. I think the one thing I'd, I'd clarify in saying the Rams front seven, it's more of just the Rams front three. Uh, the linebackers just yeah. aren't very good. The, the linebackers for the Rams just aren't very good. It's always been the soft spot. I mean, you can't have a team with 22 Pro Bowlers. So, you know, the idea that it's a weak spot on a team that's gotten Dominican Sue and Aaron Donald and the Keith Tlaib and Marcus Peters and all these other guys, you're going to have a weak spot somewhere, and that's it. But it is – it would be a weak spot on a lot of other rosters too. The uh, inside linebacker pairing, Mark Barron, Corey Littleton, isn't very good. Mark Barron's not bad in run support, but the two together just uh, – can be picked apart in the passing game, which is of concern, and neither are huge run stuffers. And then on the outside, uh, it was in such bad shape going towards the trade deadline that the Rams had to make a move for Dante Fowler from the Jaguars to shore it up because uh, the previous pairing of Samson Abukum and Matt Longacre just wasn't getting it done. The Fowler's been an improvement, but there was a reason the Jaguars were willing to move on from him, right? Um, so right. he's not a fantastic edge, but he's improved from what we had. But it's really the front three that controls things. Aaron Donald's incredible, maybe the best player in the NFL. 
Uh, Michael Brockers is great in run support, doesn't add much for the pass game. But the real difference maker in the playoffs has been in Dominican Sue. We brought him in on this one-year deal because we had this extra cap space, mainly because Goff and Donald were on their rookie deals. And for the most part of the regular season, he wasn't that dominant. People were kind of concerned that he was going to be such a central part of our plans to try to make a postseason run and wasn't playing great. The last two games, he's been fantastic. And it's just like the offensive line, it's been one of those things where those guys maybe save their best football for the playoffs, which is kind of what you want. And that's been the case for Sue. He's played his best two games as a Ram these last two games since, uh, since we got to the playoffs. Well, and that's the interesting part about it, because you look at the regular season and you know, the Rams were 32nd in the league in rushing yards per attempt against. And then, you know, you look at the at the postseason, it doesn't look anything like that. You know, when you played the Saints last weekend and the Saints had what, like 60 yards rushing or something like that. And so it's one of those things where you look at it and say, if Sue can play to his capabilities, you have those two guys inside and they can be dominant. And that's, you would look at it and say, well, they should be dominant all the time, but Sue just doesn't, he doesn't go hard on every play. He just doesn't do it in the Super Bowl, I doubt he'd have that problem. And so that could be, you know, a situation where you look at it and say, wow, okay. You know, they definitely have some advantages here. Now, the thing about the Patriots offensive line, I mean, they've been just <clears throat> almost to the Fantastic. point where they've been flawless. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, Shaq Mason last week against, you know, Chris Jones and against anyone else on the, on the defensive line was a hundred percent. He won every single one of his pass blocking matchups last week, which is just unheard of. You know, Brady's got 90 pass attempts with one pressure in the last two games. So that's really, to me, and I think you're right, the the really what it comes down to is the offensive and offensive line for both teams because you look at Goff under pressure and Goff under pressure, and you can, you can touch on this if you'd like, but Goff under pressure has been brutal the last six games. And so if they can't protect Goff, it's going to be a long night for Rams fans, I think. And, and, you know, same thing with the Patriots. Like they want to be able to run the ball. They want to be able to throw. And that's how you beat Brady's. If you can, you know, pressure him with four guys and drop people back. So I think that offensive line on both sides is really going to decide the game, you know, in the trenches as they say. And and I think that that's something you don't see every year in the Super Bowl. So it's kind of an interesting matchup. Yeah, and golf golf skill set just doesn't lend itself to being able to to, to work through, you know, pressured situations. He's not terribly mobile or athletic. He he can scramble for a first down, but there's got to be a lot of room there. He's not terribly inventive, you know, the the way that we see like Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers and now Pat Mahomes kind of make these plays out of thin air. That's just not what he does. And so uh, the, the numbers just all season have been night and day where he's been incredibly successful when he's protected and when he has time to throw. And he's been horrendous when he doesn't. And, uh, you know, credit the Rams offensive line for making sure he had time. I think I saw a stat from Next Gen Stats about the idea that uh, you guys up front have allowed quarterbacks the least amount of time to throw, but in the way they phrased it was that Goff took the most amount of time to throw, where he's taken five seconds. I think the what I what I might have added to their phrasing that they didn't include is that he's had five seconds to throw, right? right. There's a lot of quarterbacks that can look pretty good if they've got five seconds to run a play and go through their progressions and go to a second, third, or fourth receiver, and that's what he's done a lot of the time, and when you've got you know, athletic guys downfield like Brandon Cooks at Todd Gurley, even though he's not 100% right now, when you've got those guys able to make plays in space uh, and you've got five seconds to find them, it's not surprising that the numbers have looked so good when he's got time. Yeah. And, Joe, you know, talking strictly matchups too now, you know, what what is one 
you know, we'll, we'll give our take after, I guess. But what's one, you know, uh, matchup both offensively and defensively you're, you know, very interested in seeing, whether it be, you know, Brandon Cooks on Stephon Gilmore or vice versa, obviously, or, you know, Aaron Donald versus, you know, uh, Trent Brown or, or Marcus Cannon, something like that. Yeah, I mean, the Brandon Cooks one could be interesting because he's such a great deep threat. And he can take uh, he, he can push defenses back, and that's the thing is he doesn't even need to make the play necessarily. Uh, a lot of times, even though they don't connect, when the Rams run some of these, they run a lot of deep plays off play action or jet motion. If you're willing to throw the ball, then teams have to respect it one way or the other, and that's been you know a frequent part of their offensive game plan early on in games is to make sure that that teams respect the play action once we establish the run and use Brandon Cooks or even Robert Woods deep to make sure that safeties don't creep up too tight and even cornerbacks. Um, the, probably the, the matchup I'm going to be watching the most is the left side of the Rams offensive line. Andrew Whitworth, when he plays his best football, he looks like a Hall of Fame tackle. And it took him a couple of years in the NFL with the Bengals to get up to that level. Um, but he's really fantastic when he's on his game. He wasn't last year in the playoffs when we played the Falcons. He had probably his worst game as a Ram. And not surprisingly, the offense never got uh, out of park. This year, uh, he's been fantastic throughout the season and in the playoffs, and the Rams continue to have their most success running the ball on the left side of the line. And I think if they're going to set up a lot of that stuff I was talking about with their play-action game and that jet motion, they've got to get the ground game going. Um, They definitely did against Dallas. They had some success with it against the Saints, not a ton. Uh, Again, Gurley looked much worse for wear against the Saints than he did against the Cowboys. But if they're going to get it done, it's probably Mm going to happen on that left side. So I'm interested to see how Whitworth fares, especially early in the game. Defensively, gotcha. maybe the oh, go ahead. Yeah, something you want to bring up? No, no, go ahead, go ahead, keep going. Yeah, the the one thing I'd look at is probably the middle of the field. Uh, the Rams have enough talent. It's not like Marcus Peters is unbeatable, but you got Marcus Peters and a key to leave on the outside at cornerback, and you've got the safety help in John Johnson and Lamarcus Jordan. It's one of the more talented secondaries. But like we mentioned, those linebackers across the middle can get pulled out by running backs, but also, and this is where I'm worried, by tight ends that you guys have Gronk. And that's just a matchup. It's one of those things where Gronk's hard enough to stop in the first place, but if we're going to have to assign our linebackers to it, I just don't like that. And so it's going to be on Wade Phillips as the defensive coordinator to figure out that matchup, Gronk versus question mark, and figure out an answer for that that's not going to get us trampled because uh, that's my biggest concern right now is how we're going to defend Gronk. You know, it's funny. I was actually just about to talk about that or ask you about that. I thought the matchup would that I would like to see there, and if I'm a Rams fan, at least what I'd like to see, would be Tlaib on Gronk. And I know that Tlaib's been banged up a little bit, but Gronk's been banged up a little bit. And Tlaib has done it in the past. You know, when he was on the Patriots, yeah. he took away Jimmy Graham, you know, held him without a, without a reception. He's done it against uh, – he did it against some other, you know, big name uh, tight ends, I believe, in the last year or two as well. So, you know, it's not something that they've never done before. And to me, I look at it and say, okay, you know, you, you have Peters and you have Tlaib on the outside. But realistically, their number two option is Gronk. And so, right. you know, yeah, okay, fine. Leave Hogan on, you know, a number three corner on Hogan. Fine. Like if Hogan beats you, then Hogan beats you. But you want to put your best two cover guys, I think, you know, on those two guys. Now, the only thing I question is, are you going to run a decent amount of zone? Because Peters isn't great in man coverage. And if you run zone against the Patriots, you're just, you're going to get killed. And so I feel like you're going to have to play a decent amount of man coverage. And to me, if, if I'm playing man coverage, I'd put to leave on Gronk and just at least, at least to start the game and see what he can do. See, and that's what's interesting is we Wade Phillips is used to leave uh, on the inside a couple times. We did in week one 
the linebackers are starting to cover Jared Cook with the Oakland Raiders. He's done it a couple times throughout the season. Probably would have done it more if he didn't miss all that time in the middle of the season with the injury. Um, But we'll have to see. But what I'm pretty certain of is that he's not going to do it at the start. Wade Phillips likes to start out with his base alignment, which isn't man personnel assignments. It's just spacing assignments. So Peters is going to get his side of the field. Akeem's going to get the right side of the, the strong side of the field. Mikhail Roby Coleman's assigned the slot. And when he's not in there, if they're running a 3-4, they're going to put, bring it, the safeties down into the slot. Uh, that's just how he does it to start, and then he makes adjustments from there. If you watch the Rams-Cowboys game, there was a play where Amari Cooper motioned inside and drew the safety and actually went uh, – it was on an inside linebacker blitz. They ended up getting a touchdown on it. And a lot of Rams fans were wondering, well, why would you assign LaMarcus Joyner to Amari Cooper? And the answer is he did. LaMarcus Joyner had that spacing alignment, and it just so happened that's where Amari Cooper went. So that that's almost how he always starts his games. We have seen that switch from Tlaib to go inside to cover tight ends. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens, but if it does, it's only going to be because Gronk is tearing it up and putting up numbers. And, you know, it's one of those things where if that's the case, Wade's shown a willingness to do that. But uh, there's going to be a couple other things he'll go through, especially in the second quarter before he goes to that. If he does, it'll probably be coming out of the half. Interesting. Okay. And I'll tell you what, you mentioned Michelle Ruby Cole or whatever the heck his name is, Nickel, whatever his name is. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if if they throw three touchdowns on his head. I mean, you know, he makes comments like that against against about Brady, and then he, you know, of course he backpedals. I t- totally taken out of context. I didn't say anything, and blah blah blah, all this other stuff. But you know, uh, clearly had some things to say, and then kind of pushed it back. And you know, you know, Brady's listening, and and typically when stuff like that happens, especially before the, before the Super Bowl, I think back to you know Freddie Mitchell on the Eagles when he was talking about, and it's just like, it's just not a great look. It's just not a good idea. And they did it to forget who the safety was for the, for the Steelers who was talking trash before one of the playoff games. And they threw like three touchdowns on his face. And I was just like, Oh my God, this guy. So we'll see. And Roby Coleman's, you know, got some experience in, in Buffalo getting burned by Gronk for touchdowns. So, uh, you know, maybe a, a situation where he's caught with his foot in his mouth. Yeah. I mean, there's always the media wars of, you know, given the other team bulletin board material, I, I guarantee you the Rams have Patrick Chung's comments in their locker room oh, I'm sure. this week. I guarantee you they're well aware. They, they did it with uh, Demarcus Lawrence for the Cowboys when he gave an interview going into that game and talked about how, you know, his favorite thing about playing defensive end is how he likes to take quarterback souls. And just like you guys the last two weeks, Jared Goff didn't get touched about the Cowboys and it keeps the yep. lead. Uh, on a live microphone, reminded people he didn't take anybody's Stronking soul, and he can replace Stronking <laughs> with what he actually said. So yeah, yeah I mean, uh-huh. NRC gave you guys some free uh, fodder there, and I think I think he's enjoying playing the villain since that no call against the Saints. Um, but you know, the, the interesting thing about NRC being the focus of so much attention is that he might have been the best member of the cornerback group all year. Now he's got a different role playing slot. Uh, but he's been really he calls good himself. He calls himself the slot god. We'll see. The uh, slot god. With, that's right. Let's see. <laughs> let's see if he lines up with the slot god on the other end of the ball, Julian Edelman, and see who wins that matchup. So then he can start talking but, if he beats up Edelman. So you, you realize you're dealing with a humble guy when they call themselves the slot god, right? <laughs> I, I didn't know that. I, I figured it was kind of like I'm. I'm the slot god. You know, like I, I didn't know if he was meaning anything else behind it. But that's what I took out of it. Obviously, I don't follow the team yeah. as much, but. Yeah, exactly. No, he's a, he's a guy who wears his heart on the sleeve, and 
you know, going back to his days at USC, he's a, he's a fun guy to cover, and he's been a fun guy to have on the team. But what's been interesting is he's played some really good football. So coming out of that Saints game and knowing the kind of responsibilities he has and obviously what he said about Brady, uh, yeah, I think there's going to be a spotlight on him pretty early on. We'll have to see how he holds up. Well, I think for the one thing about the Saints game that is interesting to me is that because of that last play, it really overshadows the entire game. You know, and the Rams played a good game, and I thought – Really, I thought the, the Saints kind of choked it away at the end. And obviously, you know, if that play doesn't happen and they get the call there, they probably win the game in that situation. But even still, you know, they had opportunities and they were just never able to do it. And, you know, the Rams, I thought, you know, did a great job of coming back. And and to me, it's just, you know, it's almost too bad. And I don't know how, you know, how you guys feel over there, but it's like if that were us and all anyone was talking about was that one play, well, you have no control over that play as, as the Rams. It's like, well, we don't, what do you want us to do? Like we didn't make the call. We didn't make the guy, you know, make a bad call. It's like, but they won the game and the saints won the toss and the Rams still won the game. So it's one of those things where, you know, you look at the opportunities that were presented and you know, it's, it's almost kind of not fair what's happened to the Rams since that call. And really, it's not fair to all of us, right, as, as, as an NFL watching audience to, to have something like that happen. And we all know it's wrong. And the only people that got it wrong were the refs, right? And, right? and it comes with that kind of stain. And obviously, Saints fans are upset and understandably. And, you know, the Rams have to carry that into the Super Bowl. And as, as, as an audience, a larger audience that's not even, you know, Rams or Saints fans, you worry that, you know, the quality of football isn't in line with what we should be demanding as fans. What's, I've talked about a hundred different radio station podcasts. I, I, here's the main things I'd say is that, um, you know, it's, it's hard to ever know what happens after a given moment in sports. We've seen a billion games where you say, oh, this has happened, so I know what's going to happen over the next 90 seconds. And, of course, you get craziness all the time. Um, right. So whether whether or not they called it and that would have cemented the game or on the previous possession when the Rams had it and they didn't call a face mask on Jared Goff that would have taken right. it down to first and one where we could have scored a touchdown. I know there have been Rams fans that said we would have scored that touchdown and it would have made it nearly impossible for the Saints to catch up. I don't know that any of that's true. I think it's it's like a back to the future butterfly effect is that once mm. you change the outcome of the present, the future is kind of unknowable. And what sucks is the future that we all experienced was one where we have to acknowledge that the refs got it wrong. And, and this is the tough part as a fan, the NFL probably isn't going to do the right thing because they could have by now. And they have it. There's a hundred things they could do to deal with this and prevent it from happening again, but they could have done it before. Now they could have done it this off season. They could have done it three years ago. They could have done it five years ago. Right. And what sucks is, and this is the hard part, we all know whether it's this game on Sunday, and good Lord, I hope it's not, or whether it's next season, something like this is going to happen again. And it's going to be you know, some other team that gets screwed because the NFL hasn't put the fail-safe in place to make sure that they get things right when they really need to. And it sucks because, you know, it, it, the arbitrary factor here is the proximity to the end of the game. Because that play was so close to the end of the game, everybody's focusing on that no call versus the other 10 big no calls throughout the contest of the game. Right. And you can't just be so myopic to say, oh, well, we have to fix pass interference in the last two minutes. Well, you guys know what's going to happen. You're going to get to a playoff game next year. It'll be some roughing the passer against Tom Brady that doesn't get called, and you guys will be furious. And what will the NFL do? We'll get the same 
fake PR lines from Roger Goodell. Oh, we're going to look at you guys know exactly what they would say and what they would do. And what they wouldn't do is be proactive to fix this stuff before it happens. And it's, it's really a disservice to all of us as fans that we have to live in a, in a world knowing that the games aren't, you know, necessarily officiated as well as we want to. And a lot of times the results that we have have to come with those kind of asterisks on them that fans carry with them forever. Right. No, it's true. And, and I think Belichick's been saying for years that every single play should be up for review. Why not make every single play reviewable? We have the technology. You can look at it. And now, again, like you're going to have to set some caveats on there, right? I, someone scores a long touchdown. I think there was holding on that play. Well, it's like, you know, how, how do you, you know, how do you go back and forth? I think to me, you know, yeah, it's a it's a tough situation, right? But to me, you you have to allow some sort of review, and then whether I saw something that you know the NFL was considering a, a you know penalty if you get it wrong, but I think you get two challenges a game, so why not open it up and say you know holding is out and pass interference is out, but any fifteen yard penalty is up for grabs, and so that right there would have been a fifteen yard head you know hit to the head. The Jared Goff one would have been a 15-yard face mask. And so any 15-yard penalty you can challenge, and either you win the challenge, just like a normal challenge, either you win the challenge or you lose the challenge. And I think that that's one of those things where you can look at it. But I think the other part of it, too, is that instead of the reviews being done automatically in the last two minutes, I think that the coaches still need to be able to challenge those. So in other words, I can you know how everything gets automatically reviewed in the last two minutes. You say, okay, you have two challenges. If you want to challenge a penalty or it not being a penalty, you need still need to throw that challenge flag in the last two minutes of the game. And so I think that that's that could be a solution. Whether they'll do it or not, who knows? But you're right; it's an imperfect game. But we have the technology to make it. Per- why, why not? And it's just you know it, it, it's it's frustrating is what it is. But that's for sure that's the way it goes, right? What's what's strange is just the inactivity from the NFL. Like you said, there's so many things that we could do. There's so many proposals. And the only real pushback that I've seen that's pretty much universal is people wondering if, well, it's going to make the game drag on too long, right? That, oh, it's going to take games on average 10 minutes longer. Ask Saints fans if they'd be willing to take 10 minutes more of a football game to make sure that these guys get the calls right. Like, come on, man. If it takes 10 minutes – to get the call right, I guarantee you you're going to want them to get the call right because when they don't and it's your team, you'd give up 10 hours for them to get it right. Exactly. Yep, exactly. So, Joe, before we let you go, obviously, you know, to finish up the episode here, let's give our game predictions and Super Bowl MVPs real quick here. So, I mean, i got to go with the Rams. And uh, to me, it, the, the most fitting way to do this would be to have a kick at the end of regulation. And one of my guys posted today, what would Rams fans rather see? A Rams blowout win or a Rams heartbreak, uh, you know, heart-wrenching win at the end of regulation? And I think it was like 90% wanted a blowout. I don't. I, I think it would be fitting after Adam Vinatieri, you know, killed us off, gosh, 18 years ago, 17 years ago, to have to something on our side like that. Yeah, I know. Where Greg Zerline could get that closure and put a stamp on it and kind of, you know, usher in the Sean McVay era the same way that ushered in the Bill Belichick era and the Tom Brady era. I think that'd be fitting. Now, uh, I also would acknowledge it wouldn't be good for my blood pressure, and I might need to go straight to urgent care, but 
I'd take it. It'd be worth it. In terms of a score, I think it's going to be an over in terms of the over-under. I like both offenses, mainly because I like both offensive lines the way they're playing right now. I could see both of them getting things going and establishing the run where, you know, Sony Michelle is able to do what Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram, and Ezekiel Elliott haven't done against this Rams defense in the playoffs. And y'all's offensive line playing the way it is, I could totally see that continuing. So, I'll go with 34-31. I just like the idea of the offensive lines creating more offense. But if anything, the thing I'd want most is to be able to kick a field goal as time expires because it just kind of be fitting for the storyline. Spags, it's funny. Yeah. You, were just, you were just saying that. You were just saying yeah. that you preferred the close game to the blowout. That's I crazy. Was, I was saying, yeah, like earlier in the episode with our when we had Levin Reed on, I was saying, you know, let I want to really have – all my buddies are like, I want a Super Bowl. That's a blow. All these ones are too close. They're too stressful. And I was like, you know what? It, it makes it better when you win. Yeah, it sucks more when you lose. You'd rather get blown out so you expect it. But I, I, want, a, I want a close game, and I think it will be that way for the first half. I think it will be a typical Patriots game where, you know, they'll keep it close, feel the team out in the first half, and then they'll kind of grind away in the second and start to run away with it a little bit. Uh, I, I get the Patriots 31-20, somewhere in that range. And to be honest, I said it earlier, I'm going to say it again, Tom Brady's not going to be my MVP this year. I think they're taking a different approach to the game, kind of that old-school Patriot way, ground and pound. Uh, I'm going to go with Sonny Michelle for my Super Bowl MVP. You did mention MVP, and I forgot mm-hmm. to do that. I'll throw mine out there. I, normally the easy pick would be Todd Gurley or maybe Jared Goff. I just – Todd Gurley's not at 100%. He had a career-low four carries against the uh, Saints. and. Uh, I, I just don't know that C.J. Anderson's going to get it done. Jared Goff, I love him. He played great at the end of the Saints game, but he's still just kind of coming into his own, and uh, this is such a big challenge. I don't know that this is the kind of game that he's going to explode. I'm going to go with Aaron Donald. I, I, he's the best player that we've got. There's the most important game, and I know that, that with y'all's offensive line, I think there's going to be some certainty to, to be able to afford some guys a chance to go against them one-on-one. There's only been a couple teams that have been willing to do that with any consistency. Most of them have uh, paid a price for it. The one that I can remember that didn't was the Chicago Bears in the middle of the season. They played probably the best defense I've seen any team play against the Sean McVay offense. Uh, I could totally see Bill Belichick having the faith in y'all's defense to, or offensive line to try to try that against Aaron Donald. And uh, we'll have to see if that's the case. But, you know, if you're going to buy into somebody getting MVP, somebody as talented as Aaron Donald's pretty easy to buy into. Well, I mean, that's the thing. He's, he's probably – he's arguably the best player in the team. And, and uh, you know, it's going to be interesting, especially where, you know, Shaq Mason's been so good this year. And, you know, he's the guy that led up the sack or the, the strip sack that ended the Super Bowl last year. Well, it didn't end it, but right, essentially right. ended the Super Bowl last year. Uh, you know, and so for him to come back and be playing so well. And so I think, you know, I think for him, honestly, I look at that and I say, all right, <clears throat> excuse me. The, you know, the Chargers had a dominant D-line. They did nothing against the Patriots. The Chiefs had were tied for the most sacks in the league. They did nothing against the Patriots. At, at home. And I look at, I look at this Rams matchup and I see Donald and I see Sue and I see Fowler and I just something about it. I just, I just think that this offensive line, you know, is going to hold strong. Uh, and I get the, obviously at the Patriots winning too. And I, I you know, I'm going to go somewhere around like the 34, 24, 34, 30, uh, 27, somewhere around there. Um, you know, and, I, and I'm going to go Brady as the, as the MVP, because again, if you give Brady some time and it doesn't take much, I mean, I think he averaged like, 2.15 seconds per per pass or something like that. I mean, it's ridiculous. So it's almost impossible to get 
pressure on him because the ball's gone so quickly. And so the offensive line has been great, but at the same time, he's not sitting back there for five seconds. And so I think that that's a, um, that's a big thing. So, you know, I, I, I have the Patriots winning. And again, I think it's going to be a close game all the way through. And if the Patriots do end up winning by 10, which I think it's like a late touchdown that pulls them ahead. Um, but it's going to be a good game. No one's overlooking the Rams. I don't think at least because the Rams are a legit team and they struggled a little bit towards the end of the season. But I mean, you guys are one of the best teams in the NFL all year long consistently. Sure. I mean, you're talking about a very good offense matched with an inconsistent defense that fluctuated between, you know, average to above average all the way to good. So when you pair those things together and when you're, when you're winning games against the Kansas City Chiefs and the Chiefs score more than 50 points, you know that you can win a couple different kinds of games. And that's <laughs> exactly. one of the benefits of having Sean McVay as your head coach is you can definitely win games with offense, but as long as you have the talent that they've got on defense, they're going to get some performances throughout the season. They did against the Cowboys. The Saints game kind of just came down to late-game grittiness. We'll see. We'll see what happens on Sunday, man. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it is going to be fun. And that's that's the other thing I'm looking forward to is the McVay matchup with Belichick. And I, I think, you know, I was saying to someone, I think I was I think I was talking to Matt Light about it uh, earlier on the show, about how, you know, 10 years from now, you know, I think you, you look back and you'll say, you know, Sean McVay's playing in his third or fourth Super Bowl, and he'll look back at this Super Bowl and say, you know, I went against the best Belichick and, you know, we weren't able to get it done, but I learned so much from that experience that's allowed me to get to this point. Cause I think McVeigh is that next guy, you know, and, and I mean, Belichick's the best ever. It's not even close at this point, but I think McVeigh has that potential. He's super young, but he's just has that, he has that brain that, you know, football coaches brain. And, uh, and, you know, although, like I said, I think the Patriots will win this game. I think that this experience could shape the future, you know, of the Rams and, and of McVeigh as well. So it, it would be, could be an interesting storyline for years to come. Yeah. The thing that's fun about McVeigh as a Rams fan, or at least I don't know that it's fun. Let me rephrase that. The thing that I appreciate <laughs> about McVeigh is he's addicted to football and he was raised in a football family. His grandfather was the general manager of 49ers. Dad played football. His, his uncle still runs the Outback Bowl. He played all when he was a kid, he was a, Georgia State Player of the Year, the same year that the same year that Calvin Johnson was coming out of high school. So he's been steeped in football his entire life, and he's just addicted to it. And so the great thing is he's constantly using every single process and, and reevaluating it. So it's not just that he's going to learn from this Super Bowl itself. I guarantee you, he's learned something about the last two weeks in between and how that preparation affects getting ready for the game. I guarantee he's learned something about, you know, the difference between having to play in the wild card round last year and having a bye this year, uh, or how the difference between the divisional and the conference championship. He's just one of those gay guys that's constantly addicted to the idiosyncrasies of NFL football and week-to-week football and matchups and processes. And the fact that he and Bill Belichick have texted each other doesn't surprise me at all because Sean McVay is one of those guys who probably texts as many people as he can just to soak up information from the people who do it the best. Like I said, Bill's probably the best. And so for McVay to get a chance to get some of that into his head didn't surprise me at all. 
Yeah. No, it's it's fascinating. It's gonna be it's gonna be a heck of a matchup. So Joe, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. We wish you luck this weekend. Not too much, but we wish you luck and, and enjoy the game and uh should be should be a heck of a game. Okay, let's say twelve months from now, let's do it again, man. It sounds good to me. All right, thank you to Joe for coming on and we wish you the best of luck in Super Bowl fifty three. Hopefully we don't break your heart just like we did in two thousand one. But uh not too much luck though. You know, Pat, you know, we, we discussed this. I think it'd be a little, pretty cool thing for you listeners out there. Instead of our normal outro song, we're going to send you away, you know, with a nice little Super Bowl montage, a little Patriots hype video in, a, in an audio sense. If you get Catch My Drift, if you don't, cue the music. Let's hear it, Pat. Let's do it. I can't wait. I am so amped and ready to go. If you're listening, it's Friday. If you're listening, maybe it's Saturday. Maybe it's Sunday. I don't know. But – I'm ready to go. I'm going to run through about 17 brick walls. I'm ready to go tonight. I wish I was on the field with these guys, man. I cannot wait for this game. I've been waiting a full year for this. And 17 years later, we're back against the Rams. 17 years to the day back against the Rams. And hopefully it'll be exactly the same outcome as it was last time. And, man, I can't wait. And this montage video, by the way, Made by Spags, in case y'all were wondering. That's a homemade montage. So Spags does a dope job on that, as he always does. And it got me hyped. I know it's going to get you guys hyped, too. And, man, I'm ready to go. Pat, I mean, before we cue the music, I'm just going to ask you, over, under, how many FaceTimes are you going to call each other or text each other during this game? <laughs> if, if it's as close as the past ones are, this is our second Super Bowl together. We're 0-1 together. We've got to win this one. And I hope the oh, God. podcast we do is right after the parade. We can get some stories for you, break down the game. We get that sixth ring. Who cares? Cue the music. Listen to the hype song. Let's go, Pats. Let's go.
Patriots are on their way to solidifying their team as an NFL dynasty. Simpson and he has a Wilson quick throw. And it's intercepted. He intercepted the 